0: Would everybody like to stand while I read the verses for today? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Blessed is the one is the way sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. For those who delight in the law of the Lord and those who meditate on his laws day and night, that someone, that person is like a tree planted by the streams of the water, which yields the fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither, whether they do prosper, not the wicked, They are like chaff, the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the senders in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, and the way of the wicked leads to
1: destruction. Thanks be to God for the reading of His Word. Good morning to you all. How's everybody doing? Good sleep? <laughs> Thinking about the ice cream sundays tonight. So today we're in Psalm one. We're going to begin a new series here for a little while on the Psalms, or what's called often the Psalter. The Psalter is a book, an ancient book of prayers and hymns from. Israel. And throughout the altar, we see numerous types of prayers. We see prayers for help. We see prayers of praise. We see prayers of lament. We see prayers on behalf of an individual, on behalf of a group of people. I remember years ago, it's been uh, probably over six years, I went to a, a seminary professor of mine, a woman, and I told her, uh, I struggle with prayer. Uh, and I think when I went to her, I was probably looking for give me, uh, you know, three steps to help me become a better prayer. Like we love hacks, right? Tell me how I can get as easily as possible to being prayer. And what she told me, I still remember it. She said, "Go to the Psalms." She said, "Go to the Psalms. Gain a vocabulary for prayer, because the Psalms give us words to talk to God. We they give us words to converse with God." And they give us words in all kinds of situations where we don't even know what to say. Right? One of the really fascinating things and beautiful things about the Psalter is that we have the the whole human experience, all the emotions are found in that Psalter. As one person put it, we have in the Psalter the darkest and the brightest human words to and about God. So in the Psalms, you find joy, sorrow, thanksgiving, betrayal, comfort, anger, praise, confession, despair, hope, doubt, confidence, and many more, right? The whole spectrum. I was recently, it's been maybe over a month, I was at a festival in Youngstown, downtown, and uh, this festival was mostly one of delight and joy, uh, there was uh, um, a dance team from a local high school that was there. There was uh, vendors selling barbecue and other uh, food. There was people's vendors selling their uh, various wares. And then on the outside of this kind of joyful setting was this uh, like kind of mobile unit, um, which uh, as far as I could tell, you could look inside of it and there was just shattered glass everywhere. And the way it worked, I didn't ask, but I think I figured it out, is that you would, I think you'd pay to be handed some safety goggles and a bat, and then they would go in and, and put these glass bottles, and you could just go to town on that glass. You could just smash it with a bat. Now, I don't, I don't know, like I'm not a psychologist, I don't know how actually helpful that is in, in dealing with anger, like taking a bat to glass. But it was interesting for me to see this space amidst this kind of joy and this festivity, a space where someone was given the tools and the license to do something that is generally in polite circles considered like you can't do that. And I I, I see the Psalter in some ways as that mobile unit outside the festival. It contains much joy and delight for sure, It contains thanksgiving and celebration. And within the Psalter are these tools, this language, this permission to do what in polite Christian circles is seen as unacceptable. And if you don't believe me, just go read the Psalter. You will read things that are not polite to say in good company. Because in the Psalter, you have permission to hurt, to doubt, to rage, to scream in agony, as did the psalmist, as did Job, as did Jeremiah, as did Jesus when he himself cried out in agony from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22. We get the full spectrum of emotion in the Psalter. We have 150 of these psalms, and the one that we read today Heads up the Psalter. It's very intentional. This, was, you know, this, this wasn't haphazard where all of a sudden Psalm 1 is the first psalm of the Psalter. This is the introduction to the Psalter. It is the gateway to the Psalter. And it's a little different than some of the other psalms because most of them, like I said, hymns and prayers. This is a, what's called a wisdom psalm, and there's not as many of these in the Psalter it wants to teach us something. It's didactic. It wants to impart wisdom on us. And it does this by describing two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. There's two ways. As you move into the Psalter, we're going to get this counsel of two ways. And I think this this two-ways motif, it's not unusual in the Bible. We see it in numerous places. Most recently, we saw this in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Jesus opens his great sermon with the word blessed, right? blessed are the poor, blessed are, the poor and, uh, blessed are the, those who mourn, and so on. Jesus then in that sermon turns to talk about the law. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then as we move through it, if you remember, we got to the end, we get these two paths, a narrow and a wide one. Right? The narrow one leads to life, the broad one leads to destruction. And Jesus has these very powerful images that he uses in his sermon to illustrate that. Right? Remember two houses, one's built on rock, one's built on sand, storm hit, hits, the one built on the sand is destroyed. Right? And he uses those images to describe two people. Okay? So two paths, two kinds of people, two results. And we see very similar in Psalm 1. Just like Jesus' sermon, we see the word blessed, happy is the one. And then the psalmist begins to talk about two ways, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. These two ways lead to two very different uh, destinations. One is prosperity and one is destruction. And and the psalmist has these two images, which this is all anchored into. Just like Jesus had two images, the psalmist has two images, a tree and chaff. Right. So when I, I lived in Illinois, many of you know, for eight years I farmed there, and, uh, and just down the road from my house on the way to the, the farm fields, I would uh, drive by uh, these towering trees by, by a stream of water, Plow Creek. And, and they were just, the, the trunks were just massive. I don't know how many people it would take to, to encircle one of these trunks. It was you know, the biggest trees I'd ever seen. And it took me, I think, a couple years to realize, oh, these are cottonwood trees. Are you familiar with cottonwood trees? I don't know if, how many of them are around here. I think there's some. Right? It's a very appropriate name because uh, late spring, early summer, they, they shed this subst- these seeds that look just like cotton. And if you catch it on the right day, it'll be blowing in the wind and it'll feel just like it's snowing in, in late May or early June. And the reason why those cottonwood trees are by that stream is because cottonwoods thrive in wet environments by water, right? They have this ability to consume huge amounts of water, up to 200 gallons a day a cottonwood can pull up. And it's what helps it to grow very fast. They can grow up to six feet a year. Uh, Where I lived in Illinois, um, plenty of precipitation it wasn't just cottonwoods, there was uh, other forests and various types of trees. But if you head west and you get out in the plains, and if you've taken that drive, you know uh, the farther west you get, the less and less precipitation, and, and you can start to look out your car and you'll notice there's fewer and fewer trees, right? And where, when you do see those trees, where are they usually as you go out west? Right? Usually they're by a stream, okay? nothing, nothing there'll be a a series of trees. Almost always, as you come to it, you'll see uh, a a stream of water, right? Why is that? Because when things get dry out west, because they're in that plain, uh, that riparian forest, what's known as, they can continue to draw up water. Even if there's a drought out in western Kansas, if that plant is by a stream of water, it can thrive. And the psalmist is telling us, the person that meditates on the law of the Lord is like that cottonwood out in western Kansas or western Nebraska. Right? It may be drought, but the leaves are there. Right? And she produces fruit. Nothing else is producing fruit, but she produces fruit. Why? Because she has constant access to streams of water. Because her roots are tapped into this life-giving source. Think about what a tree does with water. It pulls up that water through its roots, but what does it do with that water? It uses it to to strengthen itself, to make wood, to produce leaves, to produce fruit, to prosper. That's the first image, a tree planted by streams of water. The second image is of chaff. You all, many of you grew up on farms, you know what chaff is. when you grow uh, a grain such as uh, oats and wheat, the most valuable thing is, not, is the thing in the middle. Right? And on the outside of that is this dry husker hole. And, and when that husker hole is, re- is removed from the grain, then it's known as chaff. Right? You can still, in some parts of the world today, see winnowing happen. People will toss up uh, the, the grain in the air, and if there's a wind, it'll blow away the chaff. Right, and then the grain comes down. In Illinois, right across from those cottonwoods was a, about a seven-acre field that we would grow wheat and straw, wheat and oats on. And so uh, every uh, summer, when that grain had dried down and the moisture level was the right moisture level, the, the custom combine would come in and it would combine that wheat or oats. And if you've seen it, I'm sure you've seen a combine. Where do you, What happens to the chaff? It just gets blown out the back of that combine, right? It's a very efficient way to separate the grain from the chaff. The valuable thing goes into the hopper in the combine, right? That's the grain. That's the thing with weight. That's the thing with substance. The chaff, it's worthless. It just gets blown off. Right? It's this great image, these great images that the psalmist gives us, right? Chaff is hollow. It's, it's a husk. It's, it's easily blown away. It's got no weight to it. It's got no substance to it. Compare that with the tree. It's solid, it's growing, it's leafy, it's bearing fruit. So what's the difference? If these are two people, the tree and the chaff, what makes the difference? Well, look, look here. Verse 2, if, you, if you're following along. This is the key to understanding the difference. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord. The tree, the one like the tree, the one that's thriving, delights in the law of the Lord. And I think, I think, I think there's actually two forms of delight happening in this passage. Right? The the beginning ones, we read about those who are in step with the wicked, who are in the way of the sinners, who stand in the way of sinners and sit in the seat of mockers. And let's, let's just be honest here for a minute. Can we be honest? There's some delight in sin, you are your like, No, there's no delight. Why do we do it? Why do we sin? To, to, to torture ourselves? No. We, do, we sin because it feels good. There's delight in sin. If there wasn't delight in sin, we wouldn't be tempted by sin. The path of the wicked can be a delightful path. Let me, let's look at one example on our path here. Sitting in the company of mockers. Mocking people can kind of feel good. It can feel good. Why do we gossip around people? We, We try to cover it up that we're just, God bless this person and all this language. We're gossiping. Let's just be honest. We're gossiping about the person. Why are we doing that? Because we're trying to bring them down a notch. Why are we trying to bring them down a notch? Because it makes us feel a little better. Can we just be honest about why we do that? We do that. It feels good. It feels good to mock people. Why do we see so much mocking on social media? You can get a lot of followers on social media if you are a mocker. Why do we see so much mocking on the news programs or the news, I, I, I most of it's commentary now. Why is there so much mocking on, this, on the evening news? Why is there so much mocking on the, the, every time I drive through Columbiana, there's a bumper sticker mocking something. There's a yard sign mocking something. Because it's a delight to mock. The path of the wicked, it feels good temporarily. It's like chaff. What happens if you nourish yourself on chaff? How long is that going to take you? You might get a little bit, you're not going to get very far. If actually you watch the movement of the person, they're, I don't know exactly what the psalmist's doing, but they're, they're walking and then they're standing and then they're sitting. It's like there's this lack of inertia that's going. They're, they're, they're becoming lower as they move down this path. I really like Sour Patch Kids. You didn't see that coming, did you? I really like. I like Swedish Fish um, and I like Sour Patch Kids and they are a delight to me. For about three minutes... I don't know if anybody else's experience is this. I've got my son Isaac's attention with Sour Patch Kids. I just love Sour Patch Kids, and then it starts to hurt. It's like my belly is telling me, why on earth are you eating these things? These are toxic. And I just just keep eating them. There's no substance to Sour Patch Kids. There's no substance to Swedish fish. There's no nutritional value to them. They're just chaff. They're a delight for a second, for a minute, and then they just hurt. The way of the wicked is a delightful path, but not for long. In the long run, if you take that path long enough, it's just chaff. It's going to run its course. You're going to just be blown. Just like that that chaff being blown out that combine, you're going to find yourself just blown in whatever direction whatever is the latest trend, whatever is the latest fad, you just blow around because you're looking for chaff to nourish you. But what about the righteous? Now, where do the righteous find their delight? In the law of the Lord. This, this, this word law we, we typically think of as, as Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, what we typically call the Pentateuch. Um, but in a, in a sort it's of, referring to that, but in general, Torah also means just instruction and teaching. It's more than just the first five books. For example, in Jesus, will actually quote a Psalm in the Gospel of John, but he won't call it a Psalm, he'll call it law. He says, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law, this is Jesus, they hated me without reason. Well, that's not in the first five books of the Bible, that's in a Psalm that Jesus is quoting, but he's calling it law. So when the Psalmist says law, I think we can definitely assume it's the Pentateuch, but also everything forward, remember this is the gateway to the Psalms, everything we're going to read in the Psalter after this is going to be considered part of that. In fact, the Psalter is broken up into five books, which is not a coincidence. I'm sure it's, it's to correspond to the five books of the Pentateuch, the Torah. Um, and also, I think for us as Christians, we can take this a step farther, right? Remember in 2 Timothy, it says this, all scripture is God-breathed, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Right? For us as Christians, we affirm that all Scripture is useful for instruction. So that's the first thing. What is the righteous, what is the tree doing? They're looking to the instruction of God to nourish them. But there's something else they're doing that's easy to miss. There's actually only one action in the psalm that the righteous person takes This is it. And who meditates on the law, on his law day and night. What is the key to taking the path of flourishing? What is the key to becoming like a tree planted by streams of water, which grows, which is healthy, which bears fruit? According to the psalmist, it's meditation. The only action that the psalmist takes is meditation. Right? The unrighteous person, he sits. He stands, he mocks, the righteous one meditates. Like what comes to your mind when you hear that word meditate? We don't I don't think we use that word a lot in our stream of faith. We like to do things, right? I don't know, meditating. Or we think, ah, oh, that's that new age stuff, that's that uh, transcendental, that's the Eastern religion, that's that's meditation. But right here we have right at the head of the Psalter the instruction to meditate. We cannot discount meditation, right? So what does that mean, to meditate? Well, in the Old Testament, it would mean a couple different things. One, it can also it can refer to saying something out loud. You kind of have this low, this low muttering sound. Uh, it can describe kind of like someone who's mumbling. And I think that is helpful in some way because it reminds us that almost all of Scripture, particularly the Psalms, were not meant to be read silently. Like most of us who do our Bible study, we're doing it silently, but back then, most people didn't have Bibles. They didn't have scripture. They didn't have scrolls. They had memorized it, and then they would say it out loud, or they would hear it read in the synagogue. Okay. I think that's actually a good practice. Right? As we think about moving into the Psalter, especially with the Psalms, as you come to them, read them out loud. I mean, do this with your reading too, and your daily reading. But try just reading it out loud. I think it does something different. Remember, this is poetry. Right? This is Hebraic poetry. Poetry is typically meant to be read out loud. But there's something else going on here, too. It's not just that, because meditation can also mean to absorb something. Right? So think about, think about a cow. Think about a cow eats. I used to have cattle. Right? I used to enjoy watching them. They'd be out on pasture, they would graze. You would come back a couple, couple hours later. Usually they're lying down if they're healthy, and what are they doing? Chewing the cud, yep, right? They're chewing, right? They, they bring back up what they've harvested and they chew on and they do that so they can further break down that material, that, that grass or that hay, so that it can nourish their bodies. I think that's a great illustration for how meditating on scripture works, right? It's chewing. It's slow, it's thorough. It's taking God's word and bringing it back up and chewing on it so that it can nourish us, so that it can be like those streams of water. I know many of you, I've talked to many of you who begin your day uh, reading the Bible often with our Midway Bible reading plan. So if you don't know what that is, we can get you a copy five days a week. There's this year, there's an Old Testament reading, and then there's, which we're in the book of Job right now, and then there's a gospel reading. We're in the gospel of Luke. And I'm assuming that many of you then... This is what I do. You go from reading scripture to prayer. Very common uh, movement. I would affirm that. That's a great way to begin your day. But if you're anything like me, what typically happens is if you do, you do your Bible reading and you get done and then you go straight to prayer and there's not really much connection between the two things. Tim, Tim Keller he describes meditation in a helpful way. He describes it as a bridge from scripture to prayer. Meditation is a way that we take these words, something abstract, and we inflesh it, right? We, we take something that's really cognitive, that's something in our minds, and we flesh it out. We, we ruminate on it until it begins to, to affect our hearts, until it begins to affect the way we live. We can begin to apply that to our lives. And what many people, the great prayers of the day would say is that meditation is essential to prayer. Think back to the image of the tree. How does the tree nourish itself? It's drawing on with its roots to absorb the water. It then internalizes that water and it's able to make leaves and fruit and grow. What is prayer? Prayer is at its most basic a conversation between us and God. And a key part of that conversation is hearing from God. I've talked about this before. I think that silence is an essential part incorporating into our prayer life, right? We want to build in times of silence in our prayer. That's essential. But how do we, how, how do we hear from God? That's one way. We hear from God by going to his word, right? God is chosen to reveal God's self to us through the written word, right? And so when you and I, when you, when you pick up your Bible in the morning for that Bible reading plan, you're not reading the newspaper, You're not just trying to get information. You are trying to hear a word from the Lord to you. Often that's corporately. We're hearing a word from the Lord, hopefully right now, and individually. Think about how a conversation works. Imagine your friend comes up to you and says, after a long day, I'm struggling, and I just had a horrible day at work, and you respond, how about those pirates? You see that double play last night they, they used to beat the Phillies. They've won five in a row. Right, go Pirates. There's a disconnect, right? They're trying to tell you something and you're responding with something that has nothing to do with that. You're not listening to them. It doesn't really show that you have much of a relationship with them because you're taking the conversation in a totally different direction. And I think sometimes we, we do this in our prayer life, right? We, we sit down for a Bible reading And we hear a word from the Lord, and we just dive straight into what we want to talk about. There's there's a time to talk about what you want to talk about in prayer, absolutely. But if you're anything like me, you just dive right into what you want to talk about, rather than thinking about what is God saying to you. You see, we tend to see prayer as a monologue rather than a dialogue, right? Prayer should be a dialogue, like every relationship. And this is where meditation is very helpful. Because it acts as that bridge between scripture and prayer. Rather than going straight to scripture, there's this bridge of meditation that we can do that we, we ruminate on what we just heard. We're like that cow. We bring it back up, we chew on it in our minds so that we make sure we can absorb everything it has to offer, all that nourishment. And one of the ways that, there's various ways you can do this, right? If you've got a way you already do that's working for you, that's great. Often what people will say is that it helps to have questions, okay? So, like, for example, and this is similar with Bible study. You, we, many of you have done the Discovery Bible study. Uh, we did that for numerous times uh, in our Sunday school class. You read a passage, and what do you do? You ask questions. Like, what did I discover about God in the passage? What did I discover about people? How can I commit to obeying this passage? Right? What, what happens is those, we, we kind of have some of super, often superficial understandings of the passage, but when we get those questions, it pushes us to go deeper. I found that very helpful in Bible study. Something similar, can, we can use that tool in meditating as well. Uh, Martin Luther, the, the reformer, he had a method for this. The story goes that, that Luther was getting his, his hair cut, and his barber asked him, Dr. Luther, how do you pray? And, and the story goes that he wrote him back like a 40-page letter, about how to pray, but, but, but people have kind of distilled that down into something uh, very simple. And Luther said he, he would use four questions right, to, to make that bridge from Scripture to prayer. The first is this, instruction. What is this passage teaching me? Okay. First question. So you to pick out a verse, something longer, a word. What is this passage? Remember, this is Torah, this is law, this is instruction. The Word of God should be instructing us. Second, Thanksgiving. How, in light of what I'm reading, can I praise God? what, What adoration, what thanksgiving, what praise does this bring up? So first is instruction. Again, these are Luther's questions. Second is thanksgiving. Third is confession. What confession or lament does this passage prompt? And fourth is supplication. What does this passage teach me to ask for? It's got four steps to Luther's method. Again, there's lots of different methods. I'm giving you one to try out. Find out what works for you. Instruction, thanksgiving, confession, supplication. So I decided to try that this week. If you're reading the Midway Bible Plan and Luke, we read the story of Jairus and the 12-year-old woman. Anybody else read that this week? Good, hopefully a few of you. right, I love this story. Jairus is the synagogue leader. He's desperate. He comes to Jesus, falls down, and, and asks Jesus to come. Jesus immediately goes uh, to, to his 12-year-old daughter. But on the way, he's interrupted by this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, who's desperate to get to Jesus. And he, uh, she touches him, and he stops. And you know, who touched me? And you, know, uh, you probably know the story. Okay, so, I, so I read that. That was my, my reading um, and normally I would just probably maybe move forward with my prayer, but I, I rested with that story. Okay. What, what is that? What adoration, what Thanksgiving does that bring up? And I, and I ruminated on that for a little while and I thought, man, because this is one of the harder, I don't know about you, this is one of the hardest type, parts of prayer for me. I know that the adoration is part of prayer, but typically I just find myself saying the same thing every day. God, you're you're so great, you're the creator of the universe, absolutely true. It's all very abstract, it's not very specific, right? And I just say the same thing every day. Okay, This is where this can be helpful. I meditated on this story and I thought, oh man, our God is a God in the person of Jesus who is interrupted, who doesn't mind being interrupted by someone and going straight to them to heal. And, And not only that, not only is our God in the person of Jesus okay with being interrupted but he'll be interrupted again by by a marginalized woman who's coming to him and just trying to touch him. Right. And as I as I meditated on that, I felt, oh man, this is beautiful. Like, this isn't just abstract. This is who my God is. Okay. Then I then I then I went into confession. What what might this, this story about Jairus and the 12-year-old daughter, what might this make move me to confession? And I thought. And as I've been thinking about since, like, how do I, uh, how do I respond to in- interruptions? How, how, when I'm on my way to, to doing something and someone comes up and interrupts me, what is my reaction to that? And then I thought about Jairus, right, a really respectable person in the community. He's so desperate. He just, he just falls down on his knees before Jesus. He doesn't care what other people think. I'm sure that wasn't the typical thing for a synagogue leader to do. And I think, man, am I going to Jesus for healing? Maybe I'm going to the chaff to nourish me. Maybe I'm going to, to Netflix or, or, or whatever, food or entertainment. Where am I looking for nourishment? Am I looking at it from the living water? Or am I looking at the chaff? Do I believe Jesus can really heal me? Or do I actually look everywhere else but Jesus for healing. You see how these questions? Now I'm starting to get specific. Now this isn't some general I, uh, I send against people. It's like, no. I'm not looking to Jesus for healing. right? I'm meditating. I'm ruminating. It's going deeper. Now it's affecting my emotions. I'm absorbing it. How are we going to be people who walk the path of righteousness? I don't think it's an easy path it's a delightful path, but it doesn't always offer that really chaffy kind of stuff, that really sour patch kind of stuff. You know, there's some days where I sit down and pray and read scripture and I just don't feel anything. And and maybe for a period of time, I won't feel anything. But as we keep going to the light and the law of the Lord and meditate on the law of the Lord, what you find is that God meets you there. If, you, if, you, if you're expecting this to happen in one day or two days, it doesn't to happen, right? It's like the Sour Patch Kids. You can go, go to Netflix for that. But if you want the substance, if you want what's going to sustain you for the long haul, if you want what's going to sustain you when the drought hits your life, immerse yourself in the law of the Lord. Immerse yourself in the law. That's the stuff that has the substance. So much of the stuff... So much of the stuff we spend our time on is just fleeting. It's blowing in the wind. It's not going to last. Right? So much of what we read in the news, we will not know about this in 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. So much of the self-help books that you can find, those aren't, nobody's going to be looking at those in 20 years, and 30 years. What are we looking at today? The Psalms? Thousands of years later. Because it has substance. Because it's not chaff. This is nourishment. This is the life-giving law of the Lord. And it's where we need to tap our roots into and draw, how often? What does the psalmist say? By day and by night. By day and by night, right? There's a regular rhythm to it. This isn't something we just do on Sunday morning. If we want to be nourished by the word of the Lord, we've got to be in it day and night. We've got to have a regular rhythm. Why, you know, we, we as Anabaptists talk a lot about Rightfully so, that we're about following Jesus, right? You know what Jesus did a lot? Immerse himself in the Psalms. As far as I can tell, there's no book in the Old Testament that Jesus quotes more than the Psalter. And if that's true, I've got to believe that Jesus had immersed himself in the Psalter. I, I got to think, if, if I'm going to, as an Anabaptist, I'm really serious, like, like all other Christians, that I'm going to follow Jesus. Well, part of following Jesus is going to be immersing myself in the law of the Lord. Right? What is, what is, we'll talk about this. I'm sure we'll come up in this series. But one of the most moving, moving verses in all of the uh, Scripture for me is the cry of dereliction on, on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's, it's incredible. Incredible, incredible. Where's that from? Psalm 22. We don't know for sure what was going on in, in Jesus' mind on the cross, but what, what people will tell you is likely, very likely Jesus was running through Psalm 22 in his mind. Jesus, in, in this moment of despair, what comes up naturally is that cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of course, if you follow that psalm through the darkness, you will arrive at, so often like the psalms do, you will arrive at hope. You will arrive that despite all that, God reigns. Why can Jesus do that? Because he's meditating on the law day and night. Nobody was, was more nourished, was more solid than Jesus. He meditated on the, day, on, the, on the law of the Lord day and night. Let us do the same. Let's pray. God, thank you, thank you for that you've spoken to us, that you continue to speak to us, that you instruct us on the path of righteousness. You didn't leave us to just blow in the wind, Lord, to just follow whatever fad or trend or whatever was happening, Lord, but you gave us something solid. You gave us meat. You gave us your word. May we delight in it. May we nourish ourselves from it daily. May we draw from it in seasons of plenty. May we draw from it in seasons of drought. And may we, by the power of your spirit, who works inside of us, bear fruit for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.